seven years ago, I found out that my wife was having an affair and she wanted to leave me for this other man and take my two children with her. It was one of the toughest times of my life, but luckily I'd written a plan that I followed that helped me deal with the situation, that helped me make it the best outcome that could possibly be from such a devastating piece of news. Hello and welcome to the Uncredible Adventures podcast with me, your host Cornelius. I'm really pleased to have you here. I'm recording this from a baking hot room in the Holiday Inn near Heathrow Airport. It's baking hot because it's a sunny day outside, but I've had to turn the air conditioning off so that you don't have too much background noise. Never let it be said that I don't suffer for my art. Hello once again to our regular listeners, it's really good to have you back. It means so much to me to have you tuning in week after week. And hello to anyone new that's trying the podcast for the first time. I got a bit of a warning for, for new people and existing people. This is a very different episode to what I normally do. So normally I tell stories, they are happy, they're funny, uh, I make humorous observations. This week I'm doing something very, very different. I'm telling a very personal story about it, an incredibly difficult time in my life the story of going through uh, divorce breakdown of family relationships having going from living with children to to being a split home it's it's pretty heavy going so if you're not up for that if you're not ready for that fair warning have a look back last week's was a great episode for just a funny frustrating story and um, there's a lot of them out there but this is a really really important story to me it's something I wanted to tell this is the real heart and soul you're getting this is me right from the core of my being and I hope it's useful to you ultimately it should be uplifting it has a happy ending and I hope it gives you some ideas that you might be able to take with you that will help protect you will help guide you when the going gets tough and when everything around you falls to pieces to let you know where you have to go so with a warning there's not many laughs tonight but it is a great episode i'm really proud of it i'm going to lead you in this is uncredible adventures with me cornelius if you stand for nothing you will fall for everything what a beautiful quote and it's one that's been one of these quotes that's been attributed to so many different people depending who you ask everyone's got a different idea of who said it or who said it best so with the recognition that this probably wasn't the first time it was said and definitely was not the last time it was said, I'm going to tell you about one particular time that this quote was written in 1945. World War II was still raging and there was a journal called Mental Hygiene and a doctor called Gordon Eady who published an article called The Overall Mental Health Needs of the Industrial Plant with Special Reference to War Veterans. Here's a little excerpt from that article. We're trying to show him not only what we are fighting against, but what we are fighting for. For so many of these boys only have a very hazy idea of the real issues of the war. All they see is going back to the good old days, and this is a dangerous state. If they don't stand for something, they will fall for anything. They need to realise that we are fighting two wars, the war of arms and the war of ideas. I must admit, I was quite surprised to see mental health and, and veteran mental health being discussed all the way back in 1945. 
it makes it seem amazing really that it's taken so long for us to get to the point where we can talk about mental health and mental wellness or indeed mental hygiene what a brilliant phrase that is mental hygiene the idea that there are things you can do rituals activities interventions you can take to try and prevent mental illness it somehow really chimed with me when i first read that and i think it's because one of the many stigmas around mental health is the idea that if you're suffering from mental health difficulties it's because of something you did or something you didn't do or somehow you are to blame for it and that can make it very difficult when you're trying to protect your mental health or you're trying to overcome mental health difficulties or help someone else to how do you balance the idea that it's not something you did that caused this it's not a there is not fault or blame attached to the way that you behave that's causes mental health illness while simultaneously there are practical things that you can do which may help to protect you from it it makes me think of mental hygiene as being something similar to physical hygiene where you can wash your hands and you can brush your teeth and you can try and eat healthy to lessen the chances of you becoming physically unwell while realizing that unfortunately luck or fate ultimately is what decides whether you get struck down or you don't and it's quite an interesting article in itself it it's focused mainly on the idea that once the war is over then what how do you return to normal life how do you return to your everyday routines when you've seen the horrors of war and the idea that you can be so focused on fighting an enemy fighting the battle uh, being driven by that desire to overcome adversity but ultimately if you do achieve that you run the risk of being left with a void a space where you don't have an idea of what you do stand for and in that space anything can grow now there's one thing i do know that the way that you train for war when you're in the army is very similar to in in one respect is very similar in the way that you would train for sport and that is that the training is repetition of certain actions certain movements certain behaviors you repeat them over and over again in controlled environments in training environments so that when you are under stress when you are under pressure when you're in that arena when you're in front of the crowd when things are coming at you when balls are flying at you at 100 miles an hour you don't have to make decisions you don't have to think in that moment what am i going to do it's ingrained it's natural you follow the programming you can execute the things that you practiced long and hard and the strategies that you developed and worked on away from the pressure away from the crowds away from the noise here's another great quote and this was definitely said by mike tyson and he said everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face and what an absolute universal truth and that's what the podcast is about today what do you do when you've been punched in the face when the rug is pulled out from under your feet when all of your well-made plans all of your strategies everything that you had prepared for falls away and you're sideswiped by something you didn't expect and i'm not talking about sport i'm talking about life i'm talking about the decisions you make every single day that massive choices that guide you through your life and shape who you are where you go what you do and what you become we tend to think of people's life being decided in a few key moments and certainly we all face key moments and there are really really important crossroads that we face but actually it's a cumulative effect of the constant decisions that you're making that shape who you are and where you get to 
but you cannot plan for every eventuality. It's just not possible. Even in a really controlled environment of a football match, you could not plan for every single eventuality and have a strategy laid out. So what you need instead is a set of rules, a set of guidelines, a set of core beliefs that you can check to, you can stand by, and you can adapt your behavior or your decisions when you reach that life-changing moment where something big needs to be decided. It's deeper than strategy. It's deeper than tactics. This is core beliefs. This is, if it was corporate entity, if we're talking about a business, this is the mission statement. This is the big, overwhelming question. Who are we? What do we stand for? Who are you? What do you stand for? What matters to you? What will you stand up for? They do this in big corporate worlds and big businesses all have mission statements for a really important reason. And that's quite simply, if you don't know where you're going, then any path is going to get you there. And the path of life, the journey you have to take, is not a straight line. It's not linear. It doesn't make sense. It's a zigzag. Sometimes you're up. Sometimes you're down. Sometimes you're ahead. Sometimes you're behind. Sometimes everything you've worked for and everything you've built towards gets disappeared in an instant. And other times you have a run of good luck and bluebirds come out from nowhere that you weren't expecting. There's a picture that I've seen on my Twitter feed, I think, or somewhere like that. And it's a picture basically of uh, some kind of miner and he's dug a long, long tunnel underground. You can see he's dug all the way right until he's got just a few inches of dirt left between him and a huge stack of gold that's been buried. But he gives up. He's tunneled so long, he's got so far with no results and no outcome. All he sees in front of him is dirt and he gives up one centimetre from the finish line, one centimetre from all his dreams and everything that he was out to get. But there's also a Chinese proverb that always sticks in my head. And I haven't got this in front of me, so forgive me, this is my memory of the proverb. But it goes something like this. So a man falls in the river. It's a busy, fast-moving, rush-of-water river. And the man is struggling to breathe. He's dipping under and coming up, gasping for breath. He's got no doubt at all that he's going to drown unless he can do something. And sails past a huge rock and he grabs onto the edge of this rock and he can't quite pull himself up onto it but he can hold him onto it and he can hold his head out the water and he's not drowning and that's all that matters and the man holds onto this rock but the water still pounds at him and it's hitting him against the rock and he's bouncing off the rock it's throwing him into the rock it's bouncing him off it he's getting beaten black and blue and slowly but surely, this solid rock in the sea of uncertainty, the one thing that he knows can keep him alive, is beating him to death. And eventually the man's strength fails, and the damage that he's taking from this huge rock is just so intense that he has to let go. And he lets go and he gets taken by the river. But the river takes him round a corner, and just around the corner beyond where he could see, suddenly the river broadens out. It goes very flat and very, very shallow. And it washes him up gently onto a nice, smooth, gentle beach. And he pulls up onto the sand and he's safe. And he can draw so many different things from that. For me, where it tends to fit and where I think of it most often is when you see someone in a job that they really don't like. A job that beats them to death nearly every day. A job that's taking its toll on their health, on their well-being. A job that they hate. But it pays the bills, it pays the mortgage they've got to hold on to this job they've got to it's the only thing that's keeping their head above water 
and you know that if you could only see around that corner, if you could only see what was waiting for you, what the alternatives are, maybe we'd be a lot quicker to let go of bad situations, bad circumstances, things that are hurting us, take a leap into the unknown and trust that something better is waiting for us. When I was researching for this episode tonight, I came across a website for investors, stock market investors or something like that. And it made two really bold statements that stood out to me. And it said, most unsuccessful investors live in a constant state of fear. They're afraid of money. They're afraid of taking risks and they're afraid of losing. And on the flip side, it said, successful investors, however, they live in a constant state of confidence. They see investing as winnable game and they have fun playing it. So we've got the idea that fear is damaging and confidence is empowering. And I've also given you two, one meme and one proverb, one that says, keep going no matter what. The pot of gold you've got is just through that two inches of dirt, just dig a little bit further. And the other one that says, don't hang on to the thing that's beating you to death. Let it go, roll the dice, take a chance. So what's in the middle? What sits there? How do you tie that all together? What you need is a path that you can follow with confidence a direction that you can follow with assuredness that you're doing the right thing. You need not a plan, not a strategy, not a goal. You need a compass, something that you can check your direction against and reassure yourself that what you are doing is the right thing and you can do it with confidence as long as you're pointing the right direction on the compass. I'm really enjoying quoting other people tonight. So here's one you've heard before and it's worth reading in full. It's Rudyard Kipling. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated but don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master. If you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth that you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. Or watch the things you gave your life to, broken, and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings and not lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that is in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. Wonderful, wonderful poem. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs. And that's what I was talking about earlier, this unexpected change, this difficult circumstance, this thing that blindsides you. And you have to think on the spot. You have to decide instantly under really difficult circumstances what you have to do. The terrain has changed. You've 
met an unexpected dead end. The landslides beneath you. How do you know which direction to keep traveling in? I said earlier, you need a compass. And what I'm talking about tonight is a moral compass. So here's a question. If you don't want to fall for everything, what do you stand for? Now, if you're struggling to answer that right now, if that doesn't come on the tip of your tongue, if you can't immediately say that, now imagine when the roof blows off your house. You've got a plan now. You need to write it down and you need to live it every single day. I think it was about nine years ago that I wrote my personal credo. I got inspired randomly one day. I took some of the lessons that I'm trying to share tonight to heart. And it was a point in time when I was I was unhappy. I was scared. I was afraid. I felt like a failure. And I think the language that I used when I wrote it shows that. But I've got it printed out. It's on a piece of yellow paper. It's on the wall of my office now. It's travelled with me. It's got a bit of mould growing on it. It's tatty. It's beaten. And parts of it do reflect the time it was written. But it is mine. It's my credo. It's my moral compass. And I'm going to share it with you. I provide security, stability and love for my family. And that enables them to grow, to learn and to achieve happiness and contentment and and success in life free from pain, from fear and from upset. In order to achieve this, I act to maintain my physical and my mental health, making sure that I'm healthy and I'm happy and I'm able to care and provide for them and that I must continue to grow, to learn, to develop myself physically, financially and creatively and encourage my family to do the same. And that is it. That's my credo. It's intensely personal to me. Effectively, it's a list of responsibilities and it's got my family and for me predominantly that's my children right at the top. The most important thing I do is to provide security and strength and protection to my family. And then recognising that there are things I have to do for myself and things that I have to develop for myself in order to be able to do that. Essentially, it's a hierarchy of needs. And when I ever hold that credo up against my life and against decision I have to make or the way that I'm behaving, I start from the top and I measure in the order that it's written each part against a decision and it has to tick all the way down from the top if we get an x anywhere then i know the decision is the wrong one now if i was to write my credo again today i think it would be different i think a lot of the sentiment would be the same but there's so much that's not in that credo there's so much that's missing but i'm not going to rewrite it i won't because this credo has guided me through some of the toughest times the hardest decisions i've ever had to make doesn't say things on there, doesn't talk about charity, doesn't talk about my wider family or helping others and all of those are really important and they're important to me but the point of a personal credo is you don't make it for someone else, you don't make it the credo that you think you should have, it's not aspirational, it's a truth, it's the core truth about at your heart, your soul, the middle of you, what matters most to you. For me, every single word of that credo has to ring true. Heart, head and guts. It has to be true. 
the moment you introduce into a, a core credo like that something that you feel should be there or something that you think should be your responsibility but you don't believe in it is the moment that you weaken the entire document now mine is is really quite simple i live for my kids every decision i make has to have their well-being their future at its very core yours could be entirely different you might have god at the center of it you might be pursuing your career against everything else it might be money it might be power it might be a, a sport that you play or a single goal you've got and that's absolutely fine this is for you and actually if you've got a, a goal like i will be the best at a certain sport this is what matters to me then it's even more important that you have a credo because in order to to achieve in something like that you're going to have to sacrifice things you're going to have to make tough decisions and there's things you're going to have to miss out on and you need to know you really need to know why why is it worth it so you need to have a credo you can look at that when you're sacrificing things when the chips are down when you feel like you're missing out when you're digging 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 and all you can see is dirt you can look at it and say this is why i am doing it and this is why i will continue to do it i'm going to talk a little bit later on some key tips for if you want to write your credo it's a great exercise i would recommend you do it you don't necessarily need to call it a credo but the most important thing for me this particular document i'm talking about is that you write it for yourself and there's nothing in there that doesn't vibrate with you, every part of your being there's nothing in there that doesn't land with you perfectly and i think part of what makes that important is that you don't show it to anyone i didn't show my credo to anyone for 5 or 6 years until i'd really lived it seen the power of it i wrote it for me i'm going to tell you a really the most personal story that i've ever told on this podcast and it's the story of how this credo helped me through the most difficult period of my life and it starts on the 4th of november 2014 at about half past 4 in the morning at that point in my life things were not all right my relationship was not going well things were not okay at home i wasn't happy there was danger and trouble in the air and at half past 4:00 in the morning i couldn't sleep i woke up and i checked i took my wife's phone while she was asleep i took it to the bathroom i looked at it and saw something that threw my entire life into tailspin i saw messages that she'd been having an affair and when i woke her up and asked her about it it got even worse that she said Yep, that's what's been happening. And I want to be with him. I don't want to be with you. Now most of that is not my story to tell. I'm not going to give you any more details or information. It's never as black and white as it seems. But I'm going to tell you about me, about myself and what it meant to me. So what do you do in that instance? When your entire life, everything that you've been building towards, everything that you thought you knew, has just disappeared what are the emotions what are the feelings you get anger fear the sense of betrayal regret that feeling that your entire life has disappeared you have a rage of emotions it's such a difficult emotional time and you have to make some really quick decisions decisions under pressure 
in the moment you're overwhelmed and you have to continue making these decisions so not just in that instance but over the following weeks and months and even years that come after that you have to keep making decisions and several times during that process I thought my life was over you can interpret that in many ways and I probably felt most of them but in that particular moment in the middle of the night when I just found out I wanted to shout I wanted to scream I wanted to get violent on her or on him on myself I wanted to throw her out the house I wanted to be spiteful I wanted to badmouth her to everyone we know I wanted to punish her I did not know how to act I didn't know what to do first I didn't know what was the right thing to do and I looked at my credo and the instant the instant I looked at my credo I had perfect clarity because in the second bedroom fast asleep tucked in their beds I had two small boys asleep two small boys that depended on me and at that period I was probably the primary care giver I was the one that was getting up with them in the morning and getting them dressed and taking them to school and to nursery I was doing a lot of the baths and bedtimes as well at that point and it hurt so bad more than I, I could ever begin to describe that feeling of knowing that I was not going to see them every day anymore however this panned out there were going to be days that I woke up and I didn't see my children and all that anger it disappeared because it didn't matter and it was replaced with me being overwhelmed with self-pity with fear and with upset and worrying about those kids and I looked at my credo I got it out and I started from the top and in that moment where I couldn't see straight this had blind truly blindsided me and I said that things weren't okay but I did not expect this and I was not capable of making rational sensible decisions so I pulled my credo out and I let that make the decisions now I know I've got people around me I've got friends uh, people various people very close to me who, who don't agree, agree with a lot of decisions I made the way I acted or how things went when that happened I've got close friends who are still really angry on my behalf and think I did the wrong thing think I should have done something different or some, done something more and that's fine because this is the point I followed my credo it's, it was authentic to me and on my credo pleasing my friends impressing strangers doing what other people think I should do they're not on there they don't feature my first responsibility is to my children the little souls that I brought into this world the the only blameless people in this entire mess the the two people that have got none of the power they can't make any of the decisions but they're the ones that are going to be the most affected for their entire life the most affected by the outcome of what we do now my feelings how I feel my self-pity my sadness or whatever it is that can come later much later after they are okay and do you know what just in itself that first line reminding yourself what your responsibility is that that is so 
empowering just to tell yourself, look, I do not have the right to self-pity right now. You're not allowed to be hurt or upset right now. You've got things to do. And it forces you to be practical. It forces you to, to take action. And so it began in that very, very moment, that instant, I started to make my decisions about what I had to do. And it's too big. It's too big to take the whole thing on at once. So you chunk it down. You start with the next minute. What are you going to do in the next 10 seconds? The next minute, the next 10 minutes, the next hour, the next day. You deal with it day by day, one step at a time. So I didn't get violent. I didn't shout. I didn't scream. We didn't even argue. Because... I thought about it, I looked at my credo and I realised arguing, confrontation, anger, blame, all these things, none of that helps these children. It does the opposite in every single way. Them having to witness this and also their future happiness that depends on their parents who are no longer going to be together but are going to have to have some ongoing relationship to co-parent, to look after them. I knew that I had to have a positive relationship with the mother of my children. So there were no forms of revenge, there were no forms of lashing out that didn't affect the children negatively. So I let most of it, all of it go. I removed my ego. And again, that's a huge part of what the credo does. When you probably, I'm sure you have, everyone has, you've been through a relationship breakdown of one kind or the other. And you'll know that one of the things that hurts and one of the things that gets you is firstly, you grieve for everything that never was. You, you grieve for the high hopes and the plans you had, what you thought would be and the fact that you now find out it all comes to nothing. And you, you, you care about the you that you were, the, the stupid person who got themselves into something that didn't work out, the stupid person that dared to dream or have hopes. You start to feel sorry for that person. And when I look at my credo and say, look, that does not matter now. What matters now is your children. You can park all of that. And the second thing that you feel is you feel real resentment for all the chances you didn't take, for all the offers that you had that you didn't act on, for all the things that you didn't do or the sacrifices you made, for for the times that you tried hard when things were tough, when things weren't going well. And you pushed and you hard, you, you tried hard, you, you hung on and you made the effort and you feel like an idiot for doing that. You feel like you shouldn't have done that. But again, that's something I look to my credo and I say, when I was doing that, when I was trying hard, even though it wasn't worth trying for, when I was pushing for something that didn't turn out to be true, when I was turning down opportunities, I made the right decision because I was living my credo. I was living my honest life. I was living according to my credo and I will never ever regret that. So we didn't do any of the arguing, any of the accusations or shouting, it just did not seem worth it anymore. All that mattered was what I could do to make sure that my children, who I felt I'd failed, I still feel like I failed them, were protected as best I could from what was about to come. And with the emotion sucked out of it with the the strength of my moral compass knowing what I had to do we had an honest conversation 
We made an assessment of the situation. She asked me, can I have my phone back? And I gave it to her. And she phoned, went away and she phoned him. I knew that was it. So I took the kids, got them up like it was a normal day. I got them dressed. I made their breakfast. I took them to school. And I went to work. Because it's in my credo that I provide security. I provide a place for them to live. I didn't have the option to do anything different that day. Now I can't pretend that it wasn't rough. It was really rough. From for, for a couple of months after that, I was the sole earner. I paid the rent. So again, do I throw her out the house? No, that's their mother. They need a stable house to live in. I had to leave the house, but I was paying the rent and I couldn't afford to pay for two places. So I slept on sofas. I visited friends and families. I, I slept several nights in the freezing cold in November, December in the car in a sleeping bag. One Friday night in particular, I remember, I was looking for the, the cheapest room that I could stay in and I found a, a room in the upstairs of a pub. I went and stayed in this little stark room. It only cost like 20 quid or something. But it happened to be above a pub that was having karaoke night. And there was thumping music and people shouting and screaming and laughing. I was in absolutely no mood to join in at all. So I sat miserably in this little room on a Friday night while the raging party went downstairs. And what was worse, next to my room, so I was kind of upstairs, but next to my room was a room that had a load of pool tables in so people would come up the stairs and there was a corridor they'd walk past the front of my room that I was sitting in bed in to get to this pool room and there was another party going on there so it was, there was constantly people walking up and down this hallway shouting doing everything you do in a pub on a Friday night where I was miserable inside my room in my pajamas the worst thing was that the the toilet and the bathroom to go with the room was across the corridor so I at one point I kind of had to walk out in my pajamas through effectively the middle of a really busy pub to go and brush my teeth and go to the toilet before I went to bed it was really noisy it was really loud eventually at I think it was about 1am they turned the music off and the landlord came up and he brought his dog up I could hear him using his dog like barking dog to get people to clear it out it was yeah one of the, the least pleasant night's sleep I've ever had but I slept after that and I woke up the next morning and I went down for breakfast and I didn't feel like eating anything I thought maybe I'll just have a coffee and leave and it was only me there and this other guy that had come in and he said came over to me he said oh what do you want for breakfast I said look I'm not really hungry I just want a cup of coffee and he said oh come on look I got out of bed at seven o'clock this morning it's Saturday morning here I've come in to cook your breakfast the least you can do is order something so I let him twist my arm he cooked me a big full English breakfast and it was <laughs> it remains one of the kindest things that someone has done for me without knowing they did it I was so emotionally fragile that day and this guy just said come on have a proper breakfast let me cook for you let me work you out I don't think he'll ever know what he meant to me when he did that in that moment so yeah, it was really rough. Here's another quote. I'm doing good on these tonight, aren't I? Ricky Hatton, the boxer. And he said something like, My goal, my only hope is that I take enough punches in my career that my children never have to take a single one. Now I will never, ever forgive myself for the disruption 
that this caused in my children's life. I, the, the simple fact is that I couldn't live up to my credo. I tried the best I could, but I couldn't do the one thing that I was born to do, that I swore I'd always do. But I did the very best I could to make the best of the situation and to try and protect those children and bring them back under the credo and look after them. And we carried on for a bit. We had a really miserable Christmas where I came round and we tried to pretend that things were okay for the kids and it was just horrible. Finally, I, I got my own place. I, we worked out the finances and I got a little flat. Again, looked at the credo. The most important thing it had to be suitable for the boys. It had to have a room for them, somewhere that it could be safe, somewhere that they could be comfortable. The first thing I bought, the very first item of furniture I bought was bunk beds for those kids. We made an agreement about when I'd see them, what my regular days would be and when they'd come round. And I committed myself to just being the very best dad that I could. I tried hard at work. I kept working hard. I tried to make a really safe, stable home environment for the boys. A bit of a talked about mental hygiene earlier. I, I learned the joy of just cleaning and tidying. And I used to deal with my anxiety by cleaning and tidying. I used to keep this flat absolutely spotless. I let the boys run amok when they were there. But as soon, when they went to bed every night, I'd stand up and I'd clean every inch of it. And that just that activity kept my brain feeling like I was doing something positive. I also, for um, at least a year after, I did not see any other women I didn't think about it at all I thought again I thought about my boys that they've seen their parents split up that's already given them a it's uh, already given them a feeling or I feel like it gave them a feeling of think of things aren't permanent and things can change that I, I didn't want to expose them to the last thing I wanted to do was to make them think that I was having casual relationships that you know their dad was going with other people now again this is my credo it might not be yours I don't want you to adopt my credo but I want you to think about your own and write that set of rules so that when it all goes off at five o'clock in the morning when someone gets rushed to hospital or you get some bad news or you lose your job or whatever happens that throws you you in that moment have a premeditated written document that tells you what your priorities are and you can use it to make your decisions. I'm going to fast forward for, for seven years now. My kids are absolute rock stars. Those boys dealt with it better than I could ever dreamed of. I'm proud of the way that I behaved. I'm proud of what I did through that period and how I protected them. I do not regret a moment of following that credo. I've got a, a cordial relationship, a, a working relationship with their mother, their stepdad, who was the man that was involved with the time. Again, I've got a good relationship with him. He's a decent human being. He provides for my children. He looks after them, regardless of what my history is with him. That, again, becomes entirely irrelevant. All I care about is that when my children are staying with him, they, they, they live there, that he looks after them, and he does. So regardless of where we are, he's a decent person in my books. And I also eventually, when I wasn't looking at it somewhere, I didn't expect it. I met my beautiful, amazing wife. And she really is the best thing that happened to those boys. The, the, the parenting that she gives them, the stability, the things that, that, that 
me and their mother can't provide that she brought into their lives they are so lucky but that's an entire story for another day i'll never be able to do justice to this formidable woman and i'm certainly not gonna just tag her on to the end of a podcast like this she deserves her, her own series but my boys they're healthy they're secure they're pretty well adjusted they have ups and downs but i think they know the security and they know how they matter to me they know how they matter to all the adults in their life all the pair of people that have parental responsibility for them and i'm going to move on not many laughs tonight and i'm sorry for that you, you normally get something different credit to there's a chap who calls himself ransom he's got an up-and-coming podcast it's called the ramblings of a revenant alien i highly recommend it he's going to be absolutely huge but he made an episode the most recent episode that i've listened to is about creativity and creation and i listened to it. it really really chimed with me this is my creative outlet it's in my credo it's in my credo that i develop myself creatively i give myself these outlets a lot of the podcasts i make are love letters to my children that i hope they will listen to one day possibly when i'm gone they'll listen and understand a bit of who their dad was but there was something in in the podcast that i listened to and it, it said something similar to when you do something creative only you can make that thing and if you don't make it it won't exist so that has inspired me to do something a little bit different tonight to make the podcast that I wanted to make and to tell a really important story to me I promise I'll do something funny next week it'll be back to to good humor and good laughs but I hope you enjoyed this this evening gonna I'm going to leave you with one final quote. It's from a website, joyfuldays.com. And there's a blog post on there, how to write a personal credo. And I love this little write-up that the, the author puts here. Just this paragraph. It says, but in the process of becoming myself was as confusing and painful as it was exhilarating and rewarding. It required a lot of questioning and listening to my inner voice instead of the cacophony of external voices that used to drown out my own intuition and wisdom. And over the years, I've realized that becoming is an ongoing process. Life changes, challenges and losses constantly alter your perspectives and force you to reevaluate everything. But your personal credo is your anchor through these transitions. Your anchor, your compass, your guide. Hope I've inspired you to read a little bit into writing a personal mission statement or a personal credo. And I hope I've entertained you. I've been Cornelius. This is the Uncredible Adventures podcast. Let me know what you thought at Uncredible Pod on Twitter. Did you enjoy tonight? Shall I do more serious podcasts or shall I stick with the funny, lighter stuff? Let me know. In the meantime, you have been uncredible. Uncredible.